you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. We're going to conclude our series today called God Never Said That. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you have not watched or heard the other messages in this series, to go back and, and listen to them. We've been in this series for four weeks. We had a, a little bit of a, uh, a, an in-depth Going a little deeper one week with uh, Pastor Blaine Francois where he shared uh, the first week to an, a, another level. And then we got back into the series the next week. We talked about the fact that God will sometimes give us more than we can handle. And then last week, we showed that it is actually important how you live. That how you live really does matter. Okay, And the reason that, that, that last week came before this week is because this week we want to discuss this cultural idea that people will sometimes try to sell us, maybe not in this culture, but in cultures uh, across our nation and possibly even in some people that you know, that it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you believe. Believe, And we're going to face this head on today. And, and some of you are going to be tempted, okay, in the Bible Belt South, you're going to be tempted to excuse yourself from this message because you do believe, because you do know. But hang on, before you excuse yourself from this message, I want to encourage you to not just take notes, but we have our notes available on the back of the bulletin, or you can go to eunicechurch.com slash notes, and you can pull our notes up there. I want to encourage you, before you just tune out, because you do believe, I want to challenge whether you are able to explain why you believe it. Because believing in something and being able to explain to someone else why you believe it are essentially and equally important. Okay? What is great? You figure out the what? That's awesome. I'm glad you made that decision. But you need to be able to explain why to someone else. In fact, often maybe some of you have heard, well, man, I, that was just a, he was a good person. You know, if you're just a good person, you'll be okay. And we talked about the importance of being a good person last week and the importance of, of how we live. And maybe you've heard, well, you know, old Bob, he wasn't very religious. This is more of a North Louisiana tone here, maybe a Southern Arkansas, East Texan tone. But old Bob, he wasn't very religious, you know, but, but he's in a better place. It's like, that's not right. That's a, he may not be, you know, <laughs> maybe in a worse place. Like, he may wish he was still here. Or maybe you've heard, well, you know, they're looking down on us from heaven. And, and I'm not sure that I've even necessarily dissected that out enough to know whether they are or, or whether they're not or whether they care. But I can say personally, there are about three or four times a day when I hope my grandmother is not looking down from heaven upon me. I just be completely transparent. I just, I don't walk around my house like this, like, man, granny, I hope you have something else to do right now because this would be an awkward moment for you to see me from the kingdom. Whatever it is, I can promise you that it actually does matter, but here's the only thing that matters, and let me say it this way. If we don't believe in Jesus, then it, it actually doesn't matter what we believe. If we do not believe in Jesus, according to the words of Jesus, now listen, and that's, that's the backdrop from which I'm preaching, that you, you can't say Jesus was just a good man or a good teacher. If you believe in Jesus, then according to the words 
of Jesus. If you don't believe in him, then it doesn't matter what you believe. And that's the backdrop of which I'm preaching. You can't call him a good teacher. You can't call him a good man because he said he was the son of God. Okay? And he said he would look at people and forgive their sins and give them an eternal security when he spoke into their eyes and into their soul. And so if Jesus was not who he said he was, then he was a liar. Either that or he was a psychopath. Okay? He was not a good man. If only part of what he said was true, then he was a lunatic in his generation and they should have killed him. But if we believe, come on, if we believe in Jesus, then we understand that it really does matter what we believe. Megan and I got to go to to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. She has, um, she just has naturally more friends than me for some reason. I don't understand. Like, I I feel like I'm fairly approachable, you know. My beard's not as big and scary as some beards. And I I just, I feel like, you know, that people just gravitate to her more and she has more friends. And I just don't really understand it. Like, I look at her and I look at me and I'm like, I don't know. I would be my friend. But more people are friends with her. And so her friend, her friend flew us to Jackson Hole, Wyoming to be in her wedding. Actually, just for Megan to be in her wedding. And while we were there, about four hours before the wedding, she asked me to sing in it. So I was like, okay, you got any ideas? They were like, pick something. I'm like, you sure about that? (laughs) Dude looks like a lady. (laughs) You know, I was like, I had all kinds of, well, you can't always get what you want. You know, I mean, I could think of all kinds of stuff that I might want to sing in that moment. I said how I gave her some, some choices, and she let me, she let me sing, and I, I, sang, I sang a cappella, and, uh, and it, was like, it was like singing in the shower with angelic reverberation, because we were up on this hill, and there were mountains all around us, but we were still high enough that we were in a valley, so I was, that we could still see the valleys all around us, beautiful wedding, so I was like, Jesus at the center of... Um, um, um. It was also, I was like, wow, I sound great up here. <laughs> the next morning I woke up and I went downstairs and I made a detrimental mistake to my diet, which I never recommend you doing unless you're just this type of person. I put goat cheese on an omelet. I don't know. Maybe the goat cheese was bad. Maybe you should introduce me to some better goat cheese because I had a bad experience in that moment. <laughs> I asked them, I changed the omelet. I, I took my food outside and they were, there was this group of, uh, I just, on the out, I know you can't judge a book by its cover, but you know, sometimes you can judge a book by its cover. And so <laughs> I, I sat down in the midst of a, a group of people, a group of young people that I assume um, were probably not like spirit filled and saved by the grace of God. And so I just sat down and in the midst of them, like they were just all kind of hanging out. And I was like, hey, you mind if I sit right here? My wife's still asleep. I, I got this goat cheese omelet if anybody wants it. And they were like, no. <laughs> yeah, me either. So I just sat down and, and we began to have a conversation. And, and what I try to do is I try to find common ground with people. Um, I, I try to show them like, hey, listen, I care about you. Did you predominantly people like to talk about themselves? <laughs> Especially in Cajun country, right? You can ask one question and sit there for 35 minutes and not fit a word in edgewise. You know, it's just kind of how it is. And, but we began to share, and within about, within about five minutes of the conversation, you know, this always happens. What do you do for a living? Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. Oh, really? What kind of church? And I was thinking, like, 
Like, they meant, like, Baptist, Assembly of God, Methodist. And I was like, oh, I'm Assembly of God Church. And they're like, what religion is that? I was like, oh, you meant, like, broader. And so I began to just share, you know, I'm a Christian, and I, I believe this, and I believe that. And I said, well, what do you believe? And they began to tell me what they believed. And we just had a conversation. And what I found out in that moment was that people, people were not nearly as closed off to Christianity as I thought they were. In fact, most people are not offended by Christianity. They're offended by Christians. Because we mess Christianity up. And we confuse people with our lack of actually living out the fruit that God says is on the inside of us. And this is not in your notes, so you may want to write this down. But I want you to remember this the next time that you feel like God is leading you to share your faith or to to witness to somebody, is that conversations lead to conversions. In fact, conversions begin with conversations. And if you can have a conversation with someone, then God may give you the opportunity to convince them of your conversion. But the only way that you're going to come on somebody, be able to convince them of your conversion, is if you're convinced of your conversion. So it matters, Christian. It matters, Bible Belt. It matters, South Louisiana, what we believe, because what we believe will affect how we communicate it. There's very little controversy about about spirituality, like basic spirituality, or even a higher power. You can actually even say God in a conversation. But when you bring up the name of Jesus, all of a sudden things that were not formally controversial become controversial. Because Jesus is the controversy. Now, the people that doubt Jesus, we'll call them his detractors, the people that doubt in him, they don't doubt or debate his existence. They doubt and debate, debate his divinity. Okay? They doubt and debate whether he was or was not the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Almost no one debates his existence. They love his teaching, his, his principles. I mean, help the poor, love others, bless, serve, forgive. I mean, what, what good person wouldn't want to hear that and try to implement it into their lives? But what we need to understand is that the claim of Jesus is so much more exclusive than that. The claim of Jesus is an exclusive claim. And I had you turn to John chapter 14. If you look at verse 6, we we preached the fire out of this last week. As we concluded last week's sermon. And and Pastor John and our team even edited the video and and put it on our Instagram. Which if you have an Instagram, go follow us at Eunice underscore church. You can go at at Eunice underscore church and follow us on Instagram and, and help us find more people to follow us there. We're, just, we're using any and every platform that we can use in order to reach people with the good news of the gospel. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus answered and He said, I am the way. And I find it interesting that He was talking to Thomas because Thomas was following Jesus. He's like, hey, do you even know where we're going? Like, which way are we going to go? And so Jesus looks at Thomas and and he says, I am the way. I am the way that we're going. You don't worry about where we're going. You just worry about following me. So all the time Christians are always trying to figure out where we're going instead of just being willing to follow Jesus to get there. You don't need to know where we're going. 
In fact, it's going to be better for you if you don't know because you may be afraid of where he could take you. Come on, somebody. He, he said, I am the way. I am the truth. You don't have to defend me. You just tell people about me. I'm perfectly capable. I am the truth. I don't need you to defend the truth. I just need you to reveal the truth. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Watch this. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, Jesus is telling his generation, if you don't believe in me, it doesn't matter what you believe. You can believe all the stuff that you want to. And there's some beauty in some of it. Let's look at some of the other faith systems. There are all kinds of world religions, but what we need to understand is that all world religions are not the same. There may be some beauty in it. There may be some truth in it. But they're not the same. If it doesn't follow the biblical pattern, then maybe we should not be following it. A lot of people, there's a lot of discussion right now, and I'm just going to throw this out there. I can't hang here. If you want to talk about it more, you can come to Next Steps right after water baptism today. We'll discuss all the doctrine you want to discuss. I'll stay here until five minutes before the LSU game because I love you that much. But if LSU starts playing and you're still talking, I'm leaving, okay? Just letting you know. Just formally confessing it forward. But we're having a discussion within our denomination, our fellowship right now, about whether tongues or the prayer language is the physical evidence for an individual that they have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so for me, here's what we teach. Listen carefully. This is what I teach. And it's not because of my personal experience. In fact, my personal experience didn't line up with Scripture. So I didn't make Scripture line up with my personal experience. Listen, somebody, I made my personal experience line up with Scripture. And I continued to pursue God until it did. I didn't doubt His existence. I continued to believe Him for what His Word says that He was until my experience got in line with His Word. Okay? So I began to, I began to study it out. And, and if, if, if you don't agree with this, that's okay. You can still come to church here. Like, we can disagree in this, this one small area. But what we teach is that a personal prayer language, okay, is the physical evidence for the believer that they have received that experience that is offered in Jesus' name, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, am I not saved if I don't speak in tongues? Have I not been filled with the Spirit if I don't speak in tongues? I'm not, we teach... That the personal prayer language is the evidence for the believer that they have received the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why do we teach that? Why do I teach that? Because that, for me, is the biblical pattern. Throughout the book of Acts, there's not another biblical pattern. No third century Christian wrote me another biblical pattern. The biblical pattern is that the physical evidence for the believer is a personal prayer language. And that's why people that have a personal prayer language are very confident in the fact that they have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And those that have not received a personal prayer language become either very frustrated or confused or they're just still seeking. And guess what? It's okay if you're still seeking. At what point did seeking God lose its power? 
Come on, somebody. At what time did pursuing the presence of God for another experience become something that was supposed to be more frustrating than it is fulfilling? No, if you haven't experienced part of his will, guess what? It just means that you get to keep pursuing it, that it's still out there and available. And so you don't get to use that as an excuse for why you're not living for him anymore. Like the rest of us did at times. All right, I got to get back. Faith systems. Buddha. Hindu, in in Buddhism, there's no God. There's no type of eternity or final existence. There's countless rebirths and an an endless cycle. In Hinduism, there's an impersonal God approached through deities and statues and idols. And, And then in Buddha and in Hindu, they don't offer forgiveness for sin. Okay, They offer karma. And so, listen, being a believer, stop saying that word. Because we don't believe in karma. And, and, uh, and when somebody says, oh, well, you're jinxed. I'm like, no, I'm not. Because that's not a thing. I, be- I don't believe in jinx. Like, I change my socks after every sermon. And I change my undershirt after every baseball game. Because I don't believe in jinx. I believe in Jesus, my friend. And I don't believe in karma. I believe in Christ. And the Bible says that God is not mocked. But whatsoever a man shall sow, he shall also reap. Okay, so for me, they stole that from Scripture and put a new label on it. Muslim or or Islam, they do have a personal God. His name is Allah, but he's not a loving God. He's a judgmental God. There's no secondary God. There's a total ban on anything of idolatry. Your standing depends on your religious devotion and works. Before Allah. And we have a lot of religious devotion and works kind of religion in our culture. And that is not God. It doesn't represent Him. New age. No personal God. They're just pursuing the higher conscience. Right? Some of them are even, you pay a lot of money. This is a big deal in Hollywood. This Scientology movement where you give a lot of money to become very educated. And and if you increase your intellect and your higher consciousness, then you become one with the universe or the cosmos. Okay, listen, I'm not trying to become one with the cosmos or the universe. I'm trying to become one with the creator of the cosmos and the universe. And his name is Jesus. And he made a way where there seemed to be no way. He is the truth and he is the life and no one comes to the creator of the cosmos except through him so that's christianity have a personal god a personal savior so today i'm not debating religion i'll discuss the resurrection i'm not debating religion I'll discuss the relationship that Jesus wants to have for you. So whether you're listening online or you're listening live here in the sanctuary or whether maybe you're listening later because somebody shared this message with you, I want to ask you to do this one thing before we conclude today. Would you consider Jesus? I'm not asking you to consider new hope. I'm not asking you to consider a religion. I'm asking you to consider Jesus. I'm not asking you to consider me because I will let you down, friend. And I I am nothing more than a man. And listen to me, God forbid, with my bride sitting on the front row. Because a lot of people have began to doubt God because of man's stupidity. 
A lot of people struggle with whether they believe in the creator because of the ignorance of the creation. Listen, God forbid I ever do this in Jesus' name by the power of his spirit. But if I ever let you down, then you need to trust in the Father that he will not only remove me, but he will replace me because the will of God is not subject to the stupidity of man. He is still author and perfecter no matter what fool the devil puts in your life to try to distract you or divide you. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And we don't look to a man in order to have a relationship with a savior so what i love about christianity is we consider this this number one jesus we consider the ministry of jesus the ministry of jesus that came through a virgin mary see because he was born into sin but he did not come from sin see if he would have come from a man he would have come from sin into sin and lived in sin But because he came from purity and holiness in the Holy Spirit and he was placed in the woman, he didn't come just from sin. He came from divinity. But because he was birthed in the woman, conceived by the woman and birthed by the woman, he was both fully God and yet fully man all at the same time. And he had a ministry. His ministry was his why. Why did Jesus come in Mark chapter 2 verse 16? says, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And you can hear the religious arrogance in their question. And I love Jesus' response. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call You, you believer of your own self-righteousness. He looked right at the Pharisees and said, I have not come to call the righteous. He looked them right in the face and said, I ain't here for you, you arrogant religious bigot. I came for somebody that you're not already seeking after. In fact, if you were doing your job, then I wouldn't even have to be here. I came for the sick. I came for the hurting. I came for the lost. I came for the broken. I came for the lonely. I came for the tired. I came for the sinner that thinks he didn't have any hope for tomorrow. That's who I'm here for. Because I am still a friend of those who are despised and rejected. I love them. I accept them. I approve them. And then I send them out. Well, how do they receive approval? Well, he shows this in the, in the scriptures when he uh, encounters a woman caught in the act of adultery. Now, I don't know how the Pharisees caught this woman in the act unless they were involved in some way. But somehow they knew what she was doing and where she was doing it and they caught her in the act. Maybe they were outside listening and watching and fulfilling their own lustful desires before they burst in on her and drug her and left the man. Maybe the man was one of them that were standing in the circle. We don't know, but Jesus did. So in the midst of this act of adultery, they brought her before Jesus, expecting him to be able to tell them the answer or catching him in the wrong answer so that they could kill him too. So they were trying to set Jesus up so that they could crucify him or so that they could take his life. And in the midst of this, Jesus looks at the woman and looks at the Pharisees. And he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. 
And you have to imagine with me the woman as she's laying in the dirt, having been drugged naked out of her house and thrown before the Savior of man, the Son of God. You have to imagine that she would have cowered up whenever he said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, expecting a stone to hit her. And yet the Bible says that Jesus began to write in the sand with his finger. And theologians have debated for years what exactly it was that Jesus was writing, whether it was their sin. I actually believe that it was possibly some of the mistresses of the Pharisees that their wives didn't know anything about. He began to write the names of the mistresses in the sand that that nobody else knew that they were going to when nobody else was looking. And whenever they saw that name, they knew who it was and how How many of you understand that when your wife's about to find something out that she don't already know, that is a time for you to tuck your tail and run away from that situation. He got out of there faster than than he could even finish writing. They were all gone. And Jesus looked at the woman curled up in her own condemnation, afraid of what was about to happen. And he said, woman, where are your accusers? And for the first time, she looks up into the eyes of her Savior And she doesn't see anybody else around. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and live what you say you believe. Go and sin no more. Jesus used miracles to reveal himself. He opened up the eyes of the blind, unlocked the ears of the deaf. He caused the mute to begin to speak. He delivered the demoniac. He healed the lepers. He walked on water and he raised the dead. Critics did not question whether he could do miracles. They just begged him to stop. And they did the same thing to his disciples. There is no debate or discussion within the Gospels or in the Acts or in the book of Romans all the way to Revelation as to whether the miracles were true. But you see multiple stories of the authorities bringing in the disciples or bringing in the Savior and threatening him that if he did not stop performing the miracle, then they were going to take his life. And he said, no one takes my life except for that I would give it up. But what you tear down, I will raise up again in three days and if you think I'm powerful now you wait till I shed my blood on that cross and come out of that grave three days later you will regret for eternity that you took my life because I gave it up because I gave it for you that's why I came and that's who I am some of us in this room today are miracles of the ministry of Jesus I sit and I stare at members on the front row and I look into the eyes of my bride and I know That I stand before her and I stand before you as a miracle of the ministry of Jesus. That Jesus could take a generational sin that was continuing in that I would have passed down and passed on and continued to stumble because of that I was a manipulator and a liar. I was selfish and I was a cheater. I was never faithful to anybody or anything. All I cared about was my own success. And Jesus came in and said, I've got a bigger picture for you. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your mind about what you think of yourself. Change your mind about the way that you perceive others. I've got a divine destiny for you on the other side of your disobedience. Over here, you're struggling and you're sinful. But over here, I can teach you how to follow a Savior that will set you up and position you in the kingdom to lead more people to Jesus than you would have ever been able to do on your own. And then you will inherit the reward that I set you up for because I am a miracle. Of the ministry of Jesus. 
The next thing I want you to consider this morning is the resurrection of Jesus. That when he was on the cross and creation mocked the creator, a Roman centurion looked up and he said, surely this man was the son of God. See, because when we experience resurrection power, we begin to confess things that we didn't even know. When we experience resurrection power, we begin to proclaim things as that are not as if they were. When we begin to experience resurrection power, we begin to see things from His perspective instead of seeing things from our perspective. And that centurion soldier looked up when Jesus said, it is finished, and the blood of Jesus fell to the ground, and the earth shook because the blood of Jesus spoke a better word than the blood of Abel, and the veil was torn from top to bottom, and the holy of holies was released upon all men and people began to come out of their graves because they knew something supernatural was taking place in the universe but they didn't even understand what it was yet because Jesus had not yet ascended to the Father and come back down and revealed Himself to the man in the midst of all of the confusion because He experienced resurrection power the centurion unbeliever began to confess things and He said surely this man is the Son of God Let me put it in Cajun terms. He looked up on the cross after he experienced all those things and he said, Oh, we done messed up, yeah. (laughs) The resurrection is what, what separates Christianity from every other religion. The resurrection of Jesus is what makes Christianity Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus is what takes a life that is dead in their sin and resurrects it to forgiveness, restoration, and an individual that can confound the wise with foolish things. The resurrection is the power of God that lives and breathes in me. If you're looking for a good book, or even if you're not, and you need one, There's a book written called The Case for the Resurrection. In The Case for the Resurrection, this theologian will break down the reasons why it is more rational to believe in the resurrection than it is to not believe in the resurrection. At the end of all of these things, and I have four of them in your notes, that is the apologetics creed, if you will. Apologetics is simply uh, the ability to explain. Apologetics is an explanation of the why. You'll see there on number four that Jesus' body was never produced. If you will, go back with me to Acts chapter 3, verse 15. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, is, is preaching to the masses, and he says, you killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. See, the Bible speaks and the disciples proclaim that they were witnesses, eyewitnesses, that he was dead and then he rose again. There is an idea that Roman soldiers stole the body. 
But that wouldn't make any sense because then the emperor would have killed every Roman soldier until they confessed where that body was because nobody wanted to produce a body of the king of the Jews more than the Roman soldiers. There's a, an idea that the disciples took the body, that they overpowered the disciples, the fishermen. Like, like Peter and James showed up with some sticks and a rod and they overpowered the Roman guards that had been placed at the, the sealed tomb, the stone sealed tomb. And the idea, the rational, the, the irrational idea that 11 uneducated, unpopular, average men devised the most deceptive and elaborate plan in history and then pulled it off just to keep it a secret so that they could confuse creation itself, trick the world into being a better place for no personal motive whatsoever. Extreme personal loss, even unto death, is not a rational idea. In fact... The only rational idea and explanation for the fact, historical, archaeological, scientific fact that Jesus Christ of Nazareth in a popular tomb, body disappeared and was never produced again, was that he gave his life for the sake of all. And on the third day, he resurrected it again. He revealed himself for 40 days to 500 people. And on the 40th day, he ascended back into the heavens and is seated and positioned at the right hand of the Father where he continues to intercede for us today. In fact, there was one disciple, just one disciple out of the 11 that did not believe this. He was the one disciple that was not in the house when Jesus does. Look, you gotta, you gotta change the way that you read scripture. Okay, you gotta read scripture and have more fun in it. Because I'm telling you, the Bible is the most hilarious book that has ever been written, it's the most entertaining book. If you stop reading it through these super spiritual lenses and understand the reality of the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So here the disciples are. They're all gathered in a room with a door that is locked because they're afraid for their lives. Because their king is dead. Okay? So they're in this room. Door locked. I'm imagining that they didn't have the windows open for some Roman guard to be able to go, Oh, look, there they are. Over here. Let's kill them. No, no, no. They were locked up in a room, probably cowered in silence. Okay, watch this. Ten disciples, probably some other women and children with them, locked up in a room in silence because their king is dead. And all of a sudden, without unlocking the door, without knocking, without explanation, and without warning, Jesus says, here I am. There's a dead man standing in front of them in silence. Y'all, that is hilarious. I, if, I wouldn't ha if I hadn't already had an accident, it would have happened then, okay? But there was one disciple missing. The Bible says eight days later, they were in the same room with the door locked again. When the windows closed, most likely. And this time, Thomas, the doubter, is with them. Somebody recruited him and he came back. And so Thomas is sitting in the room with them and Jesus does the thing again. 
How many of you are thankful that when you miss it the first time, he provides another opportunity for you to experience the next? That just because you didn't get it right yesterday doesn't mean that he's not still available today and tomorrow. And so Thomas was there eight days later, sitting in the room, cowered in fear, and Jesus does the thing, comes in the room. And Thomas is like, And none of the other disciples make a motion. They're like, yeah, you missed it, bro. He did that eight days ago. Got all of us. It was hilarious. You should have been here. Thomas the doubter. Jesus said, Thomas, I want you to take your hands and I want you to put them in the wound. I want you to see the scars on my hand and on my feet. Because I was dead, but now I'm alive. How would a doubter, Thomas the doubter, be willing to die for what he believed? See, Thomas would become an evangelist to the nation of India, modern-day India. Thomas would be speared to death for the sake of what he believed. Why would a man that had doubted choose to give his life for something that he had formerly doubted unless he had seen with his own eyes a risen Savior? Unless the Bible is true and explains history's record for how and why Thomas the doubter became Thomas the evangelist. He experienced the life that Jesus had to offer. If someone would join me this morning as we conclude the third and final point, I want to ask you today, and like you ever have before, believer, unbeliever, insider, not yet insider, follower of Jesus and those that are still considering I want to ask you, unlike I've ever asked you before, would you consider the eternal message of Jesus? And many of us will say, well, I do consider the eternal message of Jesus. It's on my heart. I believe in eternity. I believe what Jesus did for me. And that, my friend, is our gravest mistake. That we forget that Jesus did not just die for our sin but that he died for the sake of all sin for all time and so as we sit in the sanctuary in the comfort of air conditioning that I swear is on but my body is not experiencing right now as we sit in the comfort of this sanctuary I don't want you to raise your hand because I'm not trying to embarrass you I'm certainly not trying to condemn you but I am asking that the Holy Spirit would call the church to rise up in what I believe to be the last days unlike the church has ever risen up before I want to ask you if you believe in the eternal message of Jesus Christ then who did you pray with last week? I want to ask you if you believe in the eternal message of Jesus Christ, then who did you share it with last week? Let me expand it a little bit further because this is what we believe and this is who we are. Why do we get so weighed down with the cares and the concerns of life when Jesus said that He was the only way and the only thing that mattered for eternity? If we believe in the eternal message of Jesus, then who is in the kingdom of God today because we've been ministering to them for the last decade? Who have we led to Jesus in the last 10 years? See, I say I believe in the eternal message of Jesus. But if I really believe in the eternal message of Jesus, then it should affect how I behave. 
I don't behave so that I can become a believer. I become a believer so that I can learn how to behave. So that it is produced in me and therefore represented through me. Romans chapter 3 verse 22. The Bible says we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes. I love this. You need to underline this, highlight it, mark it real big, draw circles and arrows around it, and remind yourself of it every day. No matter who we are, no matter our skin tone or blood type, no matter our background or present circumstance, no matter who we are, where we came from, or what part of town we live in, He died once and for all, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who they are. No matter who was hurt by the church, and I'm sorry. I don't know who this is, because this wasn't a first service moment. I don't know who hurt you in the church, but I'm sorry. I've placed my livelihood, my life on the stake. That you would understand that God loves you despite that full stupidity. And this church will do anything and everything it can to try to make that right. And if we mess it up, we will apologize and ask you how we can make it better. I don't know who you are. But stop blaming Jesus on that fool forgive and be forgiven and if you can't do that then just let Jesus do it through you religion says look at what I do but relationship says look at what Jesus has done religion says it's all about me I'm saved I'm free I'm forgiven, but relationship says it's all about Jesus. He saves, He frees, and He forgives, and it's available to anybody and everybody. Religion says it's all about do's and don'ts and behavior, but Jesus said it is finished, it is done, it is completed. You believe in me, and I will make you right before men. Religion says if I obey God, then He will love me. But relationship says, because God loves me, I obey. See, my baby doesn't go to school when I'm not around and and act like they're supposed to because they're just afraid of coming home and facing the fire of acting like a fool. It's not the only reason. It may be in there somewhere, and there should be a reverence fear of a six foot two oh five bearded father. There should be there in that household. I want you to know if you get in trouble in school, then I'm going to whip your tail when you get home. There's something that needs to be revitalized there. The Bible says that he who spares the rod hates his child. I don't hate my children. I love my children. So I discipline my children. I don't put them in time out and put a cap on them. I whip their butts and I explain to them why. But my son doesn't behave at school because he knows I'm going to whip his butt when he gets home. That's not a good justification. My baby goes to school and he loves other people because he understands how much he's loved. And if he begins to act foolish, he 
considers coming home and having to face the possibility of a broken relationship. He's afraid that that he may let me down or that he may face my discipline. But he's not afraid that he will lose my love. So everything that he does, when I'm around and when I'm not, is based on the understanding that I love him. children's children or listen to me like somebody loves you so you understand the heart of a of a grandparent I'm not there yet but I understand the heart of a father that says I love you because you're mine for no other reason except for the fact that you're mine. In fact, I love you so much, God says, that I gave the only one at the time that I had. There was no other son or daughter of God at the time that God gave the son of Jesus Christ. But I love you so much, the ones in the past, the ones in the present, and the ones that will be. I love you so much that I'll give you heaven's absolute best so that you can come and be part of what I have to offer. In Psalm 119, verse 68, the Bible says, You are good. You are good. And you do only good. Teach me your decrees. I want you to notice that the Scripture does not say about God that He does good, and therefore because He does good, He is good. It says, You are good. And therefore because you are good, you do good. Therefore, because you are saved, you do save. Therefore, because you are love, you begin to love. Therefore, because you are forgiven, you learn how to forgive. Therefore, because you are redeemed, you learn how to live out your redemption. Because you are restored, your marriage is put back together. Your son is coming home. Your baby is being healed. He is the Savior, the healer, the provider. The favor of God is upon you because he is the those things therefore we are those things and we exhibit those things it's a relationship it's 12 30 i want to give you this statement and i'll pray we need to understand that that jesus is an opportunity for life listen jesus is an opportunity for life he's not an obligation in life We've got to stop seeing Jesus as an obligation that we have to check off of our list on that day. And we see Jesus as the personal Savior that He is. We see Jesus as the friend that He said He desired to be. We see His Father as our Father because He is the opportunity for life, not just an obligation that we have in this life. Before you start before you go anywhere. I want to let all of those who are being baptized today, I just want to release you to go. If you're not being baptized, don't be disobedient. If you're being baptized today, listen, can I do this? I think this is okay. I'll answer the spiritual leadership in the house later. If you've been saved and you aren't even ready to be baptized today, 
If I remember correctly in scripture, John the Baptist didn't have a group of pastors standing on the shore that everybody had to meet with before they could come out in the Jordan River and repent and be baptized. He didn't have a baptism class that he had offered a week earlier for all of those who wanted to make sure that they were right and ready before they came off in the Jordan River and confessed their sin to God and received repentance before God. So I just want to say, if you're here today and you've never been water baptized, if you will confess Jesus as Lord of your life, we will celebrate with you in a public profession before everybody else that he is not just your Savior. He is your life and he is your resurrection because that's all the water does all the water does is represents who you are in him if you will bow your head with me and close your eyes I want to talk to every follower of Jesus I got 30 seconds if you're following Jesus but you know that you can look at your life last week and you know that your life has some doubt in it you know that your life has more difficult times than it does successful times You know that your life has more behaviors that need to be modified than it is filled with belief that has no more to grow. If you're a believer in this room and you've been following Jesus, but you know that you need to be more mindful of the eternal message of Jesus Christ to increase your prayer life, to increase your time in His presence, your study of his word and your faithfulness to serving him and others. I just want you to lift your hand right where you are and say, that's me. That's me. Hands going up all over the room. Followers of Jesus. Believers that know we have not arrived. Come on, just be honest with yourself because God already knows what's in your heart. Father, right now, I pray over every hand lifted. I pray over every person that was honest in the every follower of Christ I pray that doubt would begin to decrease and faith would begin to increase I pray God that disobedience to your voice would begin to become less and less and obedience to sharing our faith with others praying over others serving you and serving others will begin to rise up and we would fulfill the call and the purpose for which you saved us and set us free from our sin talk to one more group with every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to ask you today if you're in the room and you know you are not a follower of Jesus, you can look at your your last week and you can say, man, if I had to stand before God, I don't know whether I would have received his kingdom or been sent to hell or maybe you do know and you want to make it right. You know that your life does not represent a life that has believed in Jesus' ministry received Jesus's power in a resurrected life or been mindful of an eternal message and right now you just want to be forgiven you want to be set free and you want to receive salvation I want you to lift your hand and say that's me that's me I need to receive today thank you thank you I see you thank you thank you anybody else thank you just be honest with God thank you I see you maybe you've done this before but you hadn't been living it Maybe you're backslidden, if that term even applies, or you believe in that. And you just need to recommit your life to Jesus. Just lift your hand right where you are and say, Pastor, that's me. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Church, before you gather your stuff, before you even look up, I want you to proclaim this with those who have lifted their hand and even those who haven't. The Bible says if we will 
Call upon the name of the Lord that we shall be saved. So I want us to do that all together. I want you to repeat this with me. Jesus, forgive me of my sin, my unbelief, even my doubt. Forgive my disobedience. Save me. Fill me with your spirit and the desire to follow you with all of my heart. Take my life. Make it yours. Use me for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you believe that, can you praise him all over his house today? Come on, for those who raised their hand, could you just increase their faith in a complimentary complimentary clap and say, hey, I'm declaring.